Today's episode of The Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Filmstage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole entire month of great cinema for free. Noted Lydia Tar hater Brian J. Rohn couldn't <laughs> make it tonight. He famously hates Lydia Tar. We all know that. We always talk about it. So this is Dan Mecker from the B-Side Podcast, assuming hosting duties for tonight and tonight only, joined as ever by the great Bill Graham. Bill, how are you? Woo! I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And of course, joined as well by the great Robin Barr. Robin, how are you? <laughs> That's, it's a German. Wait, was that a tar? Was that an early tar? Yeah, well, now that she moved to like her Nazi bunker... She has to have some, you know, house music going on. Got to do it. So, yeah, we're going to be reviewing Tar. I don't know if you heard me. It's written, directed by Todd Field. It's now in theaters. Here to help us do that is the also great Fran Hoffner. Fran, we loved having you on. We've had you on before. You're you're our, our, our dear friend. Remind the listeners who you are and where they can find your superb writing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm a writer and film critic. I review films for Gawker and for The Wrap, and I also do some long-form criticism for Brightwell Dark Room and on my Substack, which is called Fran Magazine. Yes, and I was actually going to shout out a couple of things. So Fran Magazine, like you said, I was I was taking a peek today, and there was a great piece about bros – Oh, that yeah. I enjoyed. Um, I'd recommend that. Yeah, I was I was looking. So the rap. I don't know. If, I don't know if you just mentioned the rap, but you just reviewed a movie that I was like looking at with some curiosity, which was the what is it, the estate, right? The, the Tony Collette movie, which is the estate. Kinda, yeah, is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it it fa- the trailer. So I I saw the trailer, or I saw it on YouTube or something, and then I saw you reviewed it. I read your review. It's kind of a beautiful. Uh, you know, takedown, if you will, but 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 very eloquently done. And now I kind of want to see it even more, if I'm being honest. You know, it's definitely a curious piece of filmmaking, and I want to root for the comedy as yeah. as an art form, which I'll be doing some of on the podcast tonight. Sure. But you know, I like Anna Ferris. I like the idea of what the estate is about, and I think its core issue is that. It's like a yucky movie that doesn't even want to commit to its own yuckiness. Right. Yeah. It has like really despicable yeah. values, but every seven minutes someone has to be like, guys, are we being despicable? Right. And it's like, just be, just be gross. Just be gross and I'll deal. Yeah. That's interesting. I think when you get into yucky, um, there's a, this is totally, uh, this is totally out of nowhere, but there's a movie from the mid nineties called greedy with Michael J. Fox and oh. Kirk Douglas, and it's like very, it's a very similar premise. Basically, like old persons dying, all of the people in the family think they want to get the inheritance, and they start acting horrible, right? And it's the same. It's kind of what you're talking about, where you go like, oh yeah, a lot of these likable people are being unlikable, but they're not fully committing, or the filmmakers aren't fully committing, or the editor wasn't fully committing, and it feels like it's like half of a dark thing but not doesn't really work yeah um, exactly so it's interesting and um 
And yeah, so and then the the only the last thing I'll say, friend, and I don't want to over, you know, I don't want to embarrass you with compliments, but you, like I said, <laughs> you've been on before. You know, I read your writing. You're 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 very good at it. And the thing, friend, that I think you have that is rare is you have a very singular voice. That's oh, like thank that you. is very. You know, especially in this world of criticism, there's a lot of it going around. And I think that's something just as an, a blanket recommend just for, for those listening. That's what you'll get. It's a very specific thing. And I think that's uh, not to be sneezed at. So well done. Bravo. <laughs> um, and I'll just do a couple of the other housekeeping things. As always, give us a follow over at at Film Stage Show on Twitter and send us an email over at podcast at thefilmstage.com to tell us how great we are or to tell us how much we stink. You can also become patrons of this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow for as little as $1 an episode. You can get access to our private Slack channel and a first crack at our raffles and other fun stuff. Now back to Mubi, our beloved sponsor. Every single day, Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. A movie on Mubi that I was watching right before we started recording is The Assassin by Ho Shoshen, the good uh, Usha picture from around 2015. Has anybody seen The Assassin? Anybody? Any assassin no. heads on this podcast? No, it's been on my watch list since it came out. Yeah, that's literally why I, I was like prepping for this and it was on my watch list. And I was like, you know what? Let me put on the assassin. And you know what, guys? It was good. Um, and then a couple of other... <laughs> ringing endorsement. Yeah, guys, watch out. It was pretty good. No, um, a couple of other options currently on movie is uh, Godard, R.I.P., his film, A Married Woman from 64 which movie says is a vigorously interrogating the commodification of femininity in consumerist culture. Jean-Luc Godard's provocative masterwork is as stylistically adventurous as it is affecting far from a scintillating arrangement. Adulterous love affairs are yet another symptom of bourgeois ennui and listlessness. Ooh, that sounds like a movie I would watch. Um, and then there's the restoration of Time to Love that I'm actually very excited to check out. It's movie's first ever restoration project, uh, Mitten Erksan's unsung masterwork, an achingly gorgeous love story inspired by Sufi tales imbued with a longing for self-actualization amid modern loneliness. This mercurial wonder evokes the fatal idealism of cross-class romance. My goodness. Um, all right. Now, if there's nothing else, let's talk Tar. Tar is written and directed by Todd Field, starring Kate Blanchett. Centers, um, as the IMDb synopsis says, on Lydia Tar, widely considered one of the greatest living composer-conductors and first-ever female music director of a major German orchestra. Stuff happens, guys. There's ups, there's downs, downfalls. <laughs> and I will now play you the beginning of the trailer. You want to dance the mask, you must service the composer. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things. As a conductor, Tarr began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tar as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. 
Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. All right, opening thoughts on Tar, and I suppose as a companion question, what was your first Kate Blanchett performance that you remember? Fran, you're our oh. guest, so let's start with you. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, well, I love Tar. I think Tar is absolutely phenomenal, and it's probably my favorite movie of the year thus far, though I know there's still some more movies to come. My first Kate Blanchett performance is a really good question. Um, I feel because like, I feel like we're all similar ages. I feel like there's some like e like Lord of the Rings, obviously. I feel like I, I guess that must be it. Out. Yeah, I was trying to think of it myself, and I guess it's boring if it's Lord of the Rings because I didn't see Elizabeth like when it was out. You know, I feel like mm. that felt too like too much for me. However old I was. It I must, always remember it that must intense be Lord of the poster, Rings. though. Yeah, yeah. Lord, of the Lord of the Rings. I guess Oscar and Lucinda I wouldn't have seen. Um, it's a good movie, though. Really good movie. Oscar and Lucinda, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Pushing Tin is a movie I actually really like a lot, but, like, that, I didn't see that until I was, you know, I was older. That was, like, a weird kind of semi-rom-com from the late 90s with – it was the movie Angelina Jolie met Billy Bob Thornton on, I think. Um all right, so Fran loves Tar. Okay, Bill, what do you think of Tar? What's your Tar thoughts? Um, I have a very complicated feelings about Tar. Um, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, I think I said that last week as well. Um, but no, I think I think this is a very complex and and difficult movie. Uh, it probably is way too long. Um, it's two hours and 38 minutes, I think my wife said. Um, and she like made a big sigh halfway through this film. And I was <laughs> like, oh, okay. No. Uh, you are not enjoying yourself. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I have complicated feelings about it. I think there is a kind of rant in the middle in uh, this Juilliard uh, moment that's kind of, you know, already been pinned by a couple of people as kind of, you know, this this film's probably Oscar kind of submission, you know, clip reel kind of thing during award season and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I found it very interesting to kind of think about uh, cancel culture and everything else that's going around um, and how it relates between men and women and domineering personalities and and what does it mean to be, you know, this solo kind of genius kind of thing um and this film portrays it in multiple ways at first you're kind of like oh this person sounds great and then you know it kind of morphs and changes and and you end up kind of given a lot of ammunition to either tear her down or or keep her pinned up um in a lot of ways and i i think this is definitely going to be uh you know, a lot of people are going to come out with a lot of different feelings and, and thoughts on this film, I think. Um, so I'm curious to see how a lot of uh, audiences kind of react to it. Um, but yeah, more specifically, I'm very curious to see, see what y'all thought of this. Um, but I will say Kate Blanchett is is a fantastic actress. Um, where did I see her first? Um, yeah, 
fellowship. I mean, yeah. that's it's it's hard. Um, I, I mean, I guess I might have seen her in the talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, sure. Um, I forgot about the talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so um, huh. that's that's one. But yeah, I mean, I knew about her through Elizabeth because I think Elizabeth was um, probably one of those kind of Oscar contender kind of films, period. Pieces. That was her breakout. No, no question about it. Uh huh. But I, I think I think I just caught bits and pieces of that through the ether um, back in the day. So, you know, but I mean, that was, you know, we're splitting hairs here. We're talking about two years back ago. in middle school. <laughs> yeah. You know, 1998 to 2001. It's like, OK. Well, yeah, she was. Cool. I mean, she was that was her. Yeah. Like Robin said, that was the beginning of her coming out party. She made a lot of movies in that run. Um, mm-hmm. Robin, what are your tar, tar thoughts? Um. Well, I I really enjoyed the movie. Um, Is it the best movie I've seen all year? Um, I don't know. I'm still waiting for some more good ones to come in, but it's probably going to be in my top five, um, just based on some of the other things that that I've seen. I just found it a very chewy movie. Um, I enjoyed the uh, psychological horror that it presents. And of course, I want to dig in more into that. Um, I found this a very interesting movie about the creation of persona um, because Lydia Tarr isn't really a real person. This is a persona that she's, this person's made up for herself. Um, and it, you know, that, that aspect of the film really kind of blew me away. The stuff about, I don't know if you want to call it like the, if you want to be reductionist, just like the Me Too stuff, that part I didn't find as interesting, but I was just kind of, really mesmerized by the story of a woman who really has to fight her way into a field that is notoriously hostile to women and you know the things that she has to do to kind of create a place for herself in in this space um so that's far more effective than some of the sort of like hamstrung you know scandal that she goes through uh, in the movie but i i still enjoyed it quite a bit um yeah yeah it's a really good movie i i also kind of want to talk about in this podcast is whether people liked it or didn't like it or you know how they feel and and their relationship with classical music because i think some of my friends who are very into that world saw the fractures in the film a lot more than i did because i'm not somebody who you know is a fan of classical music i don't go to symphonies etc so maybe because i don't know enough about that space the movie might seem a little bit more authentic for for somebody like me versus uh, a viewer who you know knows a lot about that world and you know could imagine a, a lydia tar um out there so yeah i a, a movie that i enjoyed quite a bit with some caveats and the first kate blanchett movie for me was definitely elizabeth which i saw probably in sixth grade you know it was, it was one of those movies always on cable yeah. um and yeah that was also probably at the height of my tutor obsession so it's it's really cemented <laughs> for me um but yeah i mean one of her best roles for well, sure all, it's basically I mean, godfather yeah. it's godfather but you know renaissance yeah i mean we all have our tutor obsessions i mean it's you know, whenever 
you know, I had mine when I was, you know, 17, you know, other people have, you know, you always have a tutor obsession. You watch yeah. the tutors on Showtime. Was that a, that was a show, right? The that was a show and that's a show I would never watch because of the casting. Is it Jonathan Rhys Myers? Am I right on this? Yes. Johnny? As Henry VIII, which Classic. is absolutely fucking ridiculous. You know, Classic. you know who's in that show for like Lydia one of Tarr? his first big things. Oh, I wish. But uh, uh, Marjorie from Game of Thrones. Well, her, yeah. but also early Henry Cavill. Yes, oh. I, yes, I've seen some of that show. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. his friend. I don't. I watched. This was one of the <laughs> first shows I remember them having on Netflix, like in the early days right. of my Netflix when they were account. Doing that. Yeah, and so I watched a ton of it just because it was one of you know the four shows on there. Henry Cavill is the son of the Count of Monte Cristo in the Jim Caviezel Count of Monte Cristo. Yes. Which is a movie. He was I, a real baby in that. Yeah, which is a movie I, I actually love deeply. Um, uh, it's like Ke- the guy who did Kevin Reynolds, the guy who did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It's kind of that. Yeah, type that's of, like a solid movie. Yeah, it's like a solid, you know, that type of programmer back when they still made those types of movies. Movie. Um, okay, my turn. Look, I really like Tar. You know, we got a lot of Tar. <laughs> we got a lot of Tar fans here. I saw it. Um, I know, Fran, I feel like this is the same for you. I saw it at New York Film Festival. Yeah. Um, you know, in the big room with everybody. They, they like, drive past Lincoln Center. You know, Adam Gopnik's in it for, like, four hours at the beginning. It's, like, there's a lot of, like, <laughs> very New York things in it. So I feel like if you see it at that festival or in that context, it's pr- pr- you probably have a propensity to either like it way more or hate it way more. Mm-hmm. I suppose, Robin, to your point about the classical, it's funny. Like, I think I like classical music, but in truth, I guess – it is a limited like I like what I like because even like I know there was this was a joke going on online before the movie came out I I did assume that Lydia Tarr was a real person I just was like I I did no I did but not but then the but then when the movie started I was like oh okay no this is fiction but like I didn't really yeah because we're fucking EGOT Well, yeah, actually, yes. I mean, the minute he's like listing her accolades, I was like, oh, I think I would have known about her if, if she got an EGOT. But you're like, I'm pretty sure this person cannot exist and this is hyperbolic. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I think, you know, I, I just, it's, I think that was a smart, I don't know. I personally think it was a, I like the marketing of it in that respect, where I do think you could go in kind of thinking it's this prestige biopic and then it becomes this like funny, examination about yeah i guess to some degree cancel culture but that is a little reductive i think it's really the thing i like about the movie above all else is that look it's an examination about power right i think what i like about lydia tar being you know a woman in this man's world specifically this kind of you know classical music right berlin for philharmonic famously misogynistic systemically misogynistic world right is that you know, and we can get into it, but with all of that, what she's had to do to fight, to claw, to, you know, manipulate everything to get to the top. Once she's at the top, she doesn't want to lose it. Right. She doesn't want to, you know, Mm -hmm. she wants to, you know, use it and the way that any man would use it. Right. And I think I like that idea where it's that the power above all else. And I think, the comedy that's mined from that is really interesting. The kind of thriller elements that are peppered throughout are really interesting. Nina Haas, who is her partner in the film, uh, is incredible in the film. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I think, 
Yeah, I mean, let's just jump into it. I mean, we'll we'll do we'll we'll do spoiler free for a little bit, and then we can jump in to spoilers. Oh, my first Blanchett, I will say, actually, was the movie Bandits. Do you guys remember Bandits? Yes, Anybody? the classic Barry Levinson film. We we all Not remember. Great. I don't know Bandits. <laughs> So bandits. So so you were Fran, probably like a fetus when it came out, friend. So bandits was a film from I want to say I think it's oh one, same year as Lord of the Rings, and it's there are two bank robbers, Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton, and Bruce Willis is like the renegade guy, and Billy Bob Thornton's like the neurotic Billy Bob Thornton guy. No, he's like he's like the smart guy, and they a bank robbery goes wrong, and they end up kidnapping a like frustrated housewife played by Kate Blanchett, and then I think what transpires, if memory serves, is it's like a love triangle, mm. um, and the whole bit in the movie is they go to the bank manager's house the night before they rob the bank so that they don't have to rob the bank. Like the bank manager lets them in and they just take the money. That's like, that's like their bit that they do. So it's kind of a clever kind of half clever movie. I don't know, Robin, you don't, you don't like, you don't like it, Robin. I, I mean, it, I saw it when I was much younger and it just didn't really yeah. do anything for me, but it's got a little bit of that, like post Tarantino sheen to a little, you know, got a little bit of that, like, you it's know, like the very cool early two thousands. Yes, yeah. like that winky shit. I mean, yeah, that's it's a little so bit. It's got a little bit thing, of that. But. Yeah, I think Levinson. It's like a lot of good people. Blanchett's like giving a funny performance before that. You know, before she was doing that more commonly, and I think that's maybe something that is fun to revisit. Um, she's got some like standout scenes in that movie, but yeah, that was my first. That was my first Blanchett. Um, and oh, and shout out while I'm at it. Speaking of two, just for some of the research, I have to shout out um, Murtada El Fadl, who has the great podcast Sundays Sundays with Kate, and I listened to. A, he had a couple of Tar episodes that I listened to. Um, that helped with just kind of compiling my thoughts. And then Fran, you and Veronica Fitzpatrick, I mentioned before we started recording, you did a good Bright Wall Dark Room podcast, kind of about New York Film Festival, but you talked about uh, you talked about Tar on that. So I'd recommend people listen to that as well. Um, all right, so Tar. Yeah, Blanchett's great. Nina Haas is great. Todd Field, first movie in 16 years. What do we think about Todd Field? Have, have we all seen... In the bedroom and little children. I love little children. It's one of my favorite movies. Wow. I saw that like in theaters okay. at like age 18. Okay, cool. What about you? What about you, Bill? Uh, I love little children as well. I saw that probably about seven, eight years ago. Um, wow. Okay. On a Interesting. Whim. Um, Interesting. So yeah, I didn't see it when I was a child, Robin. <laughs> I you- was technically an adult. <laughs> In the bedroom. Have you seen? Have you guys seen In the Bedroom? That movie. So I've I've only seen In the Bedroom. Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay. Wow, got the full gamut. Yeah, yeah we actually were. I watched it for school, which is interesting. In my fiction into film adaptation class, we read the short story it was based on in a real uh, like all downers adaptation class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No doubt. That's wow. one of the reasons that I haven't seen it yet. It's been on my list even before I knew that Fields was going to um, come out with this movie. Like, I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to watch it this fall. 
And now I'm just like, I don't know, it seems kind of depressing. I already live in New England. Like I, I, I was rewatching some of it today because I really like In the Bedroom. And it's funny that you guys love little children, uh, Bill and Robin, because <laughs> I love little children. Little, little children <laughs> is the one of the of his three now that I that I have never really loved. I think it's kind of like it's a bit too much is always how I feel about little children. Like by the end of it, I'm kind of like, all right, okay. I think <laughs> we're good. That's kind of how I've always felt about that movie, but I love in the bedroom. Um, and it's funny to track and we can kind of get more into this, but like the evolution of his filmmaking style is so interesting where it's almost like, you know, cause in the bedrooms, like a pretty, for all of the sadness and there's plenty of it, it's a, pretty gentle movie right i mean there's it's a very like there are kind of long takes there are you know really quiet moments and for all of the the sadness it has this kind of very i would say like a soft approach overall which i think really is is really effective in that film and then little till little children he like ramps it up like significantly like you know the themes are being really like thrown at you you know love it or hate it that's what he's doing and then i think tar it's like somewhere in the middle right tar's like very kind of in your face in some respects but i think a lot of the best parts about it are kind of happening on the edges almost right where like fran you were talking about maybe you can talk about this like it is a funny movie tar right i think that's like one of the one of the X factors about that movie. Yeah, I think its humor is really quite understated and has the potential to just totally go over the head of the audience depending on how in it or not in it they are. Right. Very I think good point. I think Blanchett was sort of a weird actress for me for a long time, maybe because the first things I saw her in were Lord of the Rings and then Elizabeth, I suppose that it took me a long time and a lot of viewings to understand how funny she often is. Um, she's very wry. She's mm-hmm. so wry. But like, I think about like Ripley's a movie I've now seen like five or six times. It's one of my favorites, but that's a deeply comedic performance there. That's true. Yeah. And I think like Carol is the kind of film where you can read Carol as straight melodrama, or you can read it as like a little bit funny. Uh, and kind of poking fun at the melodrama style. I think she's got far more range than I ever used to give her credit for. And so some of it is just the delight in watching her kind of pull off these little like magic tricks of joke deliveries or of asides. Yeah, I think it's funny. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think I kind of agree about the the Blanchett take in general, because I do think pretty early on, probably because of Elizabeth. And then, you know, and then she's kind of immediately catapulted into this like stratospheric thing where she's like winning an Oscar five years later for the aviator, which is like, you know, the aviator is actually one of my favorite movies actually. And, and she is what? incredible. I know, I know she's, inc- I, it's a, I could get into why, but, but it would, it would take a long time, but, but she is great in that movie though. I think it's one of those things where, it's like a technically great performance and she wins that Oscar in that way that a lot of people win Oscars where it's, I feel like an easy to criticize, you know, if you didn't like the aviator, you didn't love the aviator and she's kind of doing a very, very good Catherine Hepburn, 
in, you know, impersonation, right? You kind of go like, okay, all right, Kate, we'll give you one because, you know, everybody says you're going to be great. You know what I mean? And you, <laughs> you're in Elizabeth. I feel like she had a little bit of that early on in her career. And plus the thing of like playing Galadriel where it's like just an inherently cold character and it's so, you know, literally in your face. And then, and then she has like a string of kind of floppy movies like Charlotte Gray, Veronica Guerin, right? All these kind of, they don't really work. So yeah, friend, I kind of agree. And then at some point, I'm trying to think of when that would have been, she kind of finds her her thing, I feel like. I, I don't know. Like Notes on a Scandal, which is kind of a, its own funny, dramatic movie in its way. I'm Not There, obviously, was a big deal. Um, and then now it's like she's just... I don't know. She's like almost goat status, right? Who like who are who are? I wouldn't say she's almost. She's, <laughs> like, she's yeah. not almost anything. But who are the she's like? There. So who are the competitors, right? Who are the competitors? Like Streep, Street, Winslet, yeah, right? Winslet, Swint, Swinton, Swinton. Oh God, yeah, of yeah, course, Winslet, yeah, for Tilda, sure. yeah, Tilda's right there. Got got enough. Yeah, Tilda's made a lot of weird. Viola, shit Viola Davis is right there. I'd say now. Um, yeah, wow, it's just amazing how she really. Everybody bet on Kate early and she really cashed in. God bless. She really did it. Um, I mean, she's got so many fucking Oscar nominations. It's insane. But you wouldn't, would you argue any of them? Right. Like they're all pretty deserved. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't I, think I would argue against, I can't think of one I would argue against. That's I mean, the I'm thing is like up. with, yeah. with Streep, you get to a point where they're like courtesy nominations, but if oh, you look, thousand percent. but if you look at the Blanchett right. ones, it's like, yeah, so well, we I'm not yeah. fighting it. Well, and this is the thing. So here we go. Right. Yeah. Tell me. I would not. Fight. Well, there's one. Well, I haven't even seen it though, so I can't say that. Okay, Elizabeth. Yeah, that's an easy one. The Aviator, yep. one of the best movies ever made. Obviously, we all know that. Um, uh, sure. No, notes on a scandal. She's um, great in that. Great performances in that. Judy Dench. I'm not there. A movie. I love that movie. I always. I like. I will say this is a con. This is people. This is not. People disagree with me on this. I, she's not my favorite Bob Dylan in that movie, actually, but. Very good movie, very good performance. And then that same year, guys, she gets nominated for Elizabeth the Golden Age, which I guess would be the one. That was such a gimme and annoying. I guess that would be the one you'd maybe say, maybe not. And then Blue Jasmine, she wins for. Great performance, of course. And then Carol. So, yeah. It's great. Kind of hard to argue. I thought she was great in that. Yeah. I mean, so my, okay. So everybody keeps saying she's definitely going to win for Tar. How could she win? You know, how could she lose for Tar? Yeah. And here's the thing. She's won two Oscars now for playing really clipped, bitchy, snappish, patrician, rich American women. I don't think it's going to happen again. Yeah, I, I keep thinking this, too. And I get so annoyed when people are like, she's got it locked up. Like, I I don't think she does at all. And I don't think they want to give her a third one this soon. I actually find Tar so different from her last two sort of clipped bitchy performances but uh yeah i mean it's, i think it's i think a different they, emotionality but it's the same kind of cadence in the voice like i just don't think it's i also think like this performance is just too good <laughs> for the oscars to sort of recognize yeah that's i think that's well said well fran was it you who was saying i'm trying to think of who was it you who was saying or writing that um the blue jasmine performance she's never in control 
and then no, but I do okay. like that performance. I just have not seen that movie since it came out, and I don't remember I'm a ton to of it. I think who said uh, anyway. I, I like the take. The take was basically like in Blue Jasmine, right? It's just, you know, it's this very overt Tennessee Williams esque thing, blah blah blah, where it's like. She's kind of from the beginning, she's lost control, right? And the whole performance is that, right? And I think it's a very operatic thing. It works really well. Like only someone as good as Kate could could do it that well. We all know this. She wins for it deservedly. Um and then with Tar, this woman very much thinks she's in control for as long as she possibly can. And then only when it's far too late does she realize she's lost it, right? And I think it speaks to the different kind of characterizations of these of these two women, right? Where it's like, you know, Lydia Tarr is basically running, you know, the one of the preeminent Philharmonics in the world, which, you know, in real life is also true, right? The the Berlin Philharmonic is like a sought after, you know, uh, you know, classical music, you know, scenario, group, what have you. So I think yeah, it's one. Um, it's one of the top five, as they as they say. I should say that I five. I kind of know a lot about classical music. So, well, so then, Fran, what did you think about? Were there was there not enough of that? Did you feel like that? Were they kind of skating by the skin of their teeth with the references and the and the musicality? Or, um, that's a good question. I wish. So I wish there was a little more music and performance and a little right. less name dropping. But I also think the name dropping is purposeful and extremely funny. And right. it's almost like the more they do it, the greater a laugh it gets for me. And having some friends in that industry has been interesting because I think reactions really run the gamut. Right. I have one acquaintance who really thought the whole thing was just kind of bullshit. <laughs> and just that you can see the artifice from the ground up in both the performance and what the movie yeah. claims to know about it. That's I what I was wondering about it if for people who are close to the industry. So, I mean, her her read on it was just like, I'm not buying this for one second. And then I have a friend who is uh, a pretty successful composer and soloist who was like, I was all in on this. And to him, like the artifice is the whole is is the whole thing of it. Is the point, yeah. Yeah. That but all that's that's her- exactly what I I love about this movie is yeah. that here's somebody who, well, I mean, we'll get into spoilers, but like who maybe does not naturally come from this echelon right. and has to completely make over herself in order to fit in. And it's all about the artifice. The artifice is the movie right like that's the whole thing yeah you're sitting there watching her monologue for like however many minutes at the very beginning and you're just like this woman is a a bullshit artist and i love it yeah it's almost more about that than power to me is just about like the the facade the facade of power maybe is what it is right i guess yeah for me there's a lot of duality in the movie right obviously you get the obvious kind of duality of man thing of you know, Lydia Tarr, I think the movie thinks and portrays that she is is in her way a genius, right? I do think the movie is not ever trying to tell you she doesn't, from a talent level, deserve her place, right? I do think there's plenty of moments that suggest that. But then at the same time, you know, and I do, and I do think she had a couple moments, specifically with her daughter Petra, 
you know, where, you know, she is a good mom, right? She can be a good wife, right? But obviously not all the time. Um, where she certainly has good in her, but then there's plenty of evil. And then the movie obviously is about that other, you know, that other shoe dropping, and, you know, and, you know, the basic kind of narrative of it, other than just her downfall, right? This very successful, you know, conductor composer's downfall is that she, um, you know, is accused of, you know, I guess what's the best word? Is she, she is. This is, is I, I go oh, actually before I say, is this a spoiler? I mean, I don't even know. What do you think, Bill? Can I get a ruling? Yeah. Can I get a ruling yeah. on this? I, I eh. would say. All right. All right. Well, then I'll wait. But point being, yeah, I, I, I agree. The facade becomes front and center and is so kind of important to the performance. And so I guess to the larger point, if you aren't buying it, then of course, such a huge part of the movie wouldn't work for you because it would just, you know, you would just be like, all right, well, she's full of shit and I'm not buying this anyway. So, you know, it, I don't believe it. And I don't believe that she could be in this place. Um, but I think to, I guess, widen the scope though, using that as kind of a jumping off point, I think also where field is smart is that's where you get these other characters who, even though it's Blanchett's show, right. It's like Nina Haas is doing great work. And then like, uh, is it, is it Naomi Merlant, right? Who is the assistant? Yes. Yeah. She, I think is like really understated and great. And even like Mark Strong, who's kind of giving the Mark Strong beats, I suppose, but the, I love those beats, you know? And it's like, I just think that all helps. And even like Julian Glover, who's kind of like doing a, um, and Fran, help me. Is it James Levine? James Levine? I think Levine. Levine. You know, he even name drops James Levine, where it's like Julian Glover's this like old ass white guy, you know, c- you know, conductor who, you know, it mentions like these old other white dudes who were canceled, you know, because of these horrible things in this like very melancholic way in this very funny scene with between him and uh, <laughs> and, and Blanchett about halfway through the movie. So I think it's interesting with all the supporting actors, how they really add and help, you know, it all kind of congeal. And I think, you know, Fields, I I don't know. I've read things that are basically like, you know, obviously Richard Brody didn't like this movie. I think he kind of really mis <laughs> I, he like really misreads it. I was reading his review today and I was kind of like, Richard, I don't know, man. I feel like you kind of didn't see the whole movie, but that's all it's all good. And um and I mean, I, I think this is a film where like yeah. if it loses you, it's not getting you back. Which yeah, is well said, yeah. which was my read essentially on the Brody review, and I'm I'm sympathetic too. Yeah, no, I no, I look, I love, I love his writing, and I just I was reading it kind of being having fully bought into Tar. I guess I was reading it kind of like oh, a little, almost disappointed, like oh man, Richard, no, but um, but yeah, I guess before spoilers, because we might as well just jump in to them. Is there any kind of final larger things we want to say? Before we jump into spoilers, um, you know who I want to shout out in the supporting cast who's so yeah. good is Alan Cordiner, who plays her assistant conductor Sebastian, who she kind oh, of hates. Yes, I love um, him. Yeah. Who I didn't realize until this past weekend plays Arthur Sullivan in Topsy Turvy, another great composer conductor. Oh, I love that movie. That's and a great movie. 
I love that movie. I love that performance. And he he so often disappears into things. I don't even realize that he's in stuff because he really just is like a, an old British man to me. But he's so funny in his, you know, 2.5 scenes, as well as her growing disdain for his involvement in anything that she does. Yeah, he is so good. I mean, we also obviously have to shout out Alec Baldwin's cameo of doing his podcast. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who would we be if we didn't shout that out? Um, How about Sophie Cower as oh, yeah. Olga? I mean, that is oh, also sure. yeah. a very strong supporting performance, in my opinion. I mean, I think uh, Noemi Merlant takes the cake for like memorability, but I feel like uh, well, especially because Sophie Cower is a cellist. Exactly. Right? Like she's not really she's an not a professional yet. actor, and right. I would have had no idea. Yeah, that's, I'm just reading now how they cast her. It's so interesting. Yeah, she it was a right. They 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 auditioned hundreds of of cellists as well as actresses, and she came out on top. I I I'll push back a little bit. I think it's it's got nothing to do with her acting ability, and it's got everything to do with her very thick accent, which is which requires. Well, that's not and that's not her acting. Yeah, that's not her accent. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Wait, wait, what? That's not her real accent. Oh, she is. No, she she like you learned to do a Russian accent on YouTube. Yeah, she's she is doing she's doing that accent like she's acting that accent. Okay, well then your mileage may vary on that one. Even more, (laughs) no, sure, sure. What what I was gonna say was with that thick accent, Mm. I think I think anyone with a thick accent like that, it's tough to tell if they are a good actor or not because their line deliveries are always so stilted and always so just kind of. it just becomes kind of methodical and kind of like I can't tell if this is like good acting or I mean, I guess she has good eyes. She's got, you know, good presence, but I just couldn't tell whether the the acting was necessarily there. The the line delivery, because the accent is so thick. Um, well, let me so, let let me let yeah. someone into the zoom. Oh, we have Sophie Cower here. Oh, my gosh. Bill. <laughs> explain <yourself. laughs> um, no, I hear you there. I hear you. I mean, I think it's one of those things. Yeah. Once you by the time you get to her in the film. Yeah, I mean, if you're not riding with it, I think the accent would jump out at you among other things, right? So I think, to your point, Bill, it seems like not uh, all of it worked for you, right? Like you were saying earlier. So that doesn't surprise me, certainly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily a bad performance. I just, I can't tell because the accent is so thick there that it just, it just throws me off. And and yeah. I am like one of the most just blind to accent people you will ever meet. People are always like ranting and raving about like how bad accent work is in certain movies and certain performances. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like I will say, sounds, I do, sounds good to me. <laughs> I do. Before we go to spoilers, it's funny you mentioned that. I've been thinking this recently that because me and Connor, we do the B side podcast, obviously, uh, for, also for the film stage, and I feel like we're always talking about accents, like when we're talking about these B side movies a lot of the time. And I'm realizing, like, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? If people are trying. I, I, you know, my, my, my mileage, <laughs> oh my, my, my uh, mileage is, 
yeah, no, I just, as I get older, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know what? You're doing the best you can. Like, oh, I just, okay, it doesn't, no. my, my point is Smile. it doesn't affect my viewing of the movie as much as it perhaps it used to, right? I just think like, I will mm. roll with the attempt um, more than I used to, right? Wow. I think, well, um, I was this is me watching ask. Oh, Tom Hanks and Elvis. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> so out of curiosity, he's trying. He's trying. What, he's doing his best. Yeah, that didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. But like, what are just to do a little bit of a roundtable here? What are some like really standout bad accents? Well, so, that we so okay. So to me, to me, the three ones, right? The easy try try effecta of like, don't do this, right? And Fran and everybody. Feel free to correct me here. I always think of, they're all Irish because the Irish accent is very hard to do. And I always think it's, you go Tom Cruise from far and away. You go um, Brad Pitt from The Devil's Own. And then Richard Gere from The Jackal are like all. Never seen any of those. I don't know any of these movies. Really? Those are the ones (laughs) I always think of. Do you think I watched any of these movies? Those are the ones I always think of. Because I think it's like, so I've talked about this on other podcasts, but like, I think the Brad Pitt criticism is actually too much, right? Like in comparison to other attempts, I think he's like Brad Pitt in what? In The Devil's Own with Harrison. Not in oh, Snatch. Okay. I think he's. I quite was gonna say in rough Snatch. In Snatch. Yeah, exactly. But I like oh, well, him. Snatch. He's doing like of that very specific accent. The, the pikey right? accent. The pike, yeah. piker accent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I can't speak. So kind of to Bill's point, I guess I can't speak to that because I don't really know. I guess I just believe it because I'm being told, right? I mean, I guess that's yeah, with that, yeah. but that. But that accent, um, I don't know. What are some other ones? I mean, since you brought it For up, for me, yeah. uh, it's Jennifer Lawrence in American Hustle. That was like, I'm what from is Long her, Island. What is that her was accent? fucking horrific. What is her accent? She plays a Long Island housewife oh, at like Island. age 22 or something. It was absolutely sure. ridiculous casting. But I hate that movie, so whatever. I, yeah. I that just stands out to me as like one of strong, the worst I've ever heard. Yeah, not a strong picture. Bill, you got any? You got any? Well, you said you're accent blind, so you don't even know. Bill, you don't know. Yeah, yeah Bill, I'm, you're I'm, out. I'm, I'm, well, my, well my Bill's, like, Bill's is, like this uh, tar, Sophie Coward. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Sophie. Uh, here's, here's one thing that I, I'll, I'll kind of throw at y'all, and um, I'll kind of get y'all's opinions on. I used to think that acting was putting on a persona which also included putting on a voice and putting on kind of a personality and a lot of times and i don't know if it's just like comedic films or what but i've i've interviewed i've had the pleasure to interview quite a few actors and actresses um and this film might say just call them actors um but i've had the pleasure to interview a lot of people uh you know on-screen talent and i've been really struck i guess i'm not sure when this started or when when it changed but i've always been struck by the fact that some people literally talk and deliver lines the exact same way they talk and deliver lines in real life there is no like there is no like acting it is their exact same like i thought there was certain rhythms to how things are written and how directors wanted their you know stuff performed and all of this stuff and some people really do kind of put on a performance right You, you can't tell that you know from one to the other um but 
there is a lot of people that just literally are just like reading a script it almost well, seems and, would, and, and that's that's not back. like i mean yeah. i mean that's that's harsh right but yes. that's what it kind of feels like when I, mm. I guess they're not putting on a persona or not putting on different affectations of voice work and stuff like that it's just it's just really weird to me to see a lot of people and you know i'm sure uh, I, I guess Kate Blanchett is Australian. Um, I was there reading that today, and you know, I'm sure when did you, you not know until today her, that she was Australian? You no, took the words no. right out of my mouth. Bill Graham, <laughs> God bless you. Okay, so this oh. is what I would say to your point. I always think of Ethan Hawke. I always love this little quote. Ethan Hawke, after he made Before Sunset, was talking to somebody, and somebody kind of said to him, like, "Hey." What do you say when people, you know, say to you when you make the before movies? Because to your point, Bill, right? You know, the before movies, he's just playing a young person sure. who becomes a writer from, you know, the middle of America, right? I think the character's from Texas, right? Where it's like not far from where Ethan Hawke's from, his voice, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of Ethan Hawke's mm-hmm. performances are what you're talking about. Well, I mean, and, that, that's also the director, too. No, I know. Right? He's and from so, Texas. Yep, right? Yep. And so what Ethan Hawke said when whoever this interviewer was brought that up to him was he's like, well, I take it as the greatest compliment because if you think that's just who I am, then I'm doing my job really well. well which is to mm-hmm. say, you know, I think though you don't mean it as a compliment, I think what you're actually doing is complimenting these actors because, you know any performance that you're seeing on a screen, the work that's going into it, even if it seems like they're just being, you know, Ethan Hawke is like so much deeper than that. And, and, you know, the work that's behind the line reads are like, you know, that is so, um, complicated in so, you know, in so many ways, I think, I think really for any performance, I think there's, it's, you know, cause even think about like an action movie, Right. I think there's that reductive, I you know, this like reductive idea of kind of what those are. Like even with Top Gun Maverick, people kind of jokingly being like, "Oh, do you think Tom Cruise is going to get nominated? Like that would be a bad thing." And I'm kind of like, "Well, let's yeah. let's yeah, yeah. let's stop for a second and consider what he's doing and how incredibly difficult that is. And even if it seems silly because like there's this lofty thought of what the awards are, I think." That's like an incredibly ingenerous <laughs> uh, way to look at like what is being done right you know what i mean it's it's a different kind of acting right, right like right, and and right. people people are like well but that's not what wins awards and it's like well but what does that mean like yeah. just because a body of people don't continuously reward those kind of performances doesn't mean that it's not a good performance like <laughs> what does that mean right. you know so yep well i, I think agree. and there's Brian, actors you, gonna, yeah go ahead. where you know, the the star quality really relies on their persona as a mm-hmm. person more so than the character in the movie. Sure. I think like, you know, Clooney is a good example of this because sometimes you're getting like a real capital A acting performance from George Clooney. But a lot of the times you are seeing what is a George Clooney character, um, whereas Blanchett kind of obfuscates and you know smoke and mirrors i've read like every single blanchett interview that's come out in the press cycle of tar and feel like i have absolutely no handle on her 
whatsoever as a person or yeah. yeah i have absolutely no gauge and i was at the press conference at new york film fest and was like i have no read on this woman she was constantly deflecting with like little jokes mm. and asides she's she's extremely hard to read which i think makes that performance really thrilling it's why you know a lot of us love daniel day lewis but i, was I think gonna, i was just gonna say it's a yeah ddl comes to mind when you talk about i it, mean yeah. this this film really reminds me of phantom thread oh yeah um, right right yes, yeah i saw you, yes. had, you had written that yeah yeah it does i guess i hadn't thought about it until i had read you say that and i was thinking do i agree and i guess i do because you do have this thing of Right, there's power, there's kind of facade, right? There's like the genius monster. The right, the genius yeah, monster, some grooming, the, the comedy, the, right? The comedy on the edges. The tyrant you know. craftsman also. And like I, I said this on the Brightwall Dark Room pod, but like I think what both those movies do very brilliantly is teach you how to laugh at the movie. Yeah. Throughout or teach you the ways in which the movie is funny. Like the more time you spend with both Reynolds Woodcock and with Tar, you start to understand their idiosyncrasies. So you know when something is going to piss them off or excite them mm -hmm. before she mm -hmm. does. And there's a lot of joy. So you become the victim of the abuser throughout watching the movie. Or or the um the, or like aiding and abetting. You're either the way. Yeah, I mean, accomplice. Phantom Thread to me is a very sweet movie. I, I do not think Tar is a very sweet movie, but I think they're <laughs> functioning in really similar ways as character studies. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think I would agree with you on that. All right, so let's jump into spoilers. If you haven't seen Tar, feel free to pause and come back after you've seen it. Guys, her name's really Linda, guys. Yeah, when when she visits home, you're yeah. like, holy fuck. Well, so where so is that that's in Queens, right? Is that's that definitely that is? Queens. Oh, I thought it was Staten Island, but it okay. might be Staten. It could be Staten Island. That's what I'm asking. I, I was. I thought the think. wiki said in the movie that she's from Staten. It's Island. from Staten Island. It could definitely be Staten. It felt like it could be Deep Queens, but Staten Island. I mean, it doesn't really you know. matter, honestly. Like, no, I'm saying what well, you're yeah. getting to the edges of the city. You know, it's it's a similar scenario. Um, what what determines that it's Staten Island though? Because oh, I just thought they said in the movie. Okay, I don't remember that. I, like, I just, like when they're editing the Wikipedia page. Oh, I, I, you caught that. I did not, but I definitely assumed it was Queens. Either way, it's an outer borough. She's, she's yeah. trash. <laughs> outer borough trash. Wow. It could saying, be Jersey like, City. Like, yeah, it, even worse. My point, I'm from Long Island. I'm Long Island trash. <laughs> I was like, I get to say that, guys. I'm from Long Island. I get to <laughs> say exactly. that. But, but yeah, it was just not what I was anticipating. And I actually had a really emotional reaction to that reveal because i uh so she went you know her character goes to a, a prestigious university i work at a prestigious university and i know many students who are on financial aid they come from you know difficult life circumstances and to kind of rewrite lydia as maybe one of my students um, who That's has to work really hard to, I don't know, become this like butterfly or whatever it was just really uniquely emotional for me. Right. Mm. Yeah. No. So just to kind of get to where we are, right. Cause obviously that's way at the end of the movie. Um, the Linda reveal as it were, um, you know, so Lydia Tarr basically sees her whole career 
crater right at the moment of kind of what's meant to be her christening where she's about to record Mahler's fifth symphony after recording the first four and kind of that's meant to be the crown jewel on top of this already accomplished career she's getting kind of lifetime achievement awards Adam Gopnik is direct is interviewing her like I said before from the New Yorker like the real um, Adam Gopnik the real which Adam really Gopnik funny. which was funny I thought and like she has the whole we talked about it the whole beginning you know that I, I love that whole speech you know Time, I control time with my, you know, my left hand, my second hand, you know, that, that whole bit is great. And I think it really, I think almost, Fran, to your point, that scene, it's almost like Field saying to you like, okay, this is a pretty challenging scene in as much as like, it's very expositional, it's very performative, there is comedy in it. But if you're not going to roll with me here, maybe just kind of buckle up or like leave because this is what you're going to get. Right. And you have, you know, this redheaded woman watching from the back of the audience. You have these kind of social media moments peppered kind of opens the film with the shit talking happening, you know, uh, quote unquote, behind Lydia's back. And that persists through the film. And essentially what happens is. A young woman who I believe used to be her assistant, right? Is that am I remembering that correctly? Or, or I, her student or was I it her student? Ju yeah, just student and, and went through her, her fellowship yeah. or whatever. Her fellowship. Okay, okay. She um um after accusing uh Lydia Tarr of, you know, improprieties and you know, sexual harassment, you know, assault, whatnot, she takes her own life, right? And so there's this once that happens, right, and parallel to that, there's this scene in a classroom that I love. I do love that scene. It's a very kind of, you know, was that what you were saying, Robin? That's the Oscar scene, or is that Bill? Who no, was that's saying me. that? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Me. No, Where that it's me. it's basically like, right? She's teaching a class, and she gets into kind of a situation with um, this kind of BIPOC student who challenges. Lydia's kind of insistence that they, you know, um, respect, uh, respect Bach and, 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 and absorb, not respect, respect's the wrong word, like learn Bach, understand Bach, appreciate is a better word, appreciate Bach. Sure, sure. And this student is basically like, no, fuck that. You know, he sucked, all these things about well, Bach. Which but his argument was, it was so. Not even that his argument was dumb, but the framing of his argument was so dumb because like who in their right mind would say, I'm not going to listen to Bach because he fathered a bunch of children. Like that seems like a weird well, but satire also, but also of like they cancel culture that seems like really bullshitty and not authentic to, you know, the actual concerns of young people and why they boycott, uh, you know, artists who, who they who have done difficult things or wrong things. Like it just but, seems that that yeah. was kind of pulled from nowhere. And I don't think that any real person who has like a moral quandary about, uh, you know, the, the establishment would actually use that as an argument. So that just like rang a little bit false for me, even though I really like the scene. Can I just, I, I will say in my graduate studies, uh, <laughs> we got into an extremely similar argument mm. uh, that was sort of student student led about reading Dickens. 
um, sure, sure. under the auspices of like not wanting to read Dickens because quote he was mean to his wife, right. <laughs> and like the, was very harrowing for me as someone you know like a decade older than some people in my program. But it rang very true to me in the scene, which is that people will do anything not to read Bleak House. <laughs> you know, that's an interesting point, because I just honestly kind of felt it was so stupid, like no human would make this argument. And you have uh, upended that for me. <laughs> so maybe maybe I we mean, should all just be right wing at this be, point. Stop, <laughs> Robin, how, how dare um on the eve of election day as well no um you know so in this scene right uh, Lydia challenges the student and I guess perhaps takes it too far I don't really know I it was I, I like the way you know the the scene is also filmed from afar which I think is smart because obviously it, it foreshadows what comes later which is obviously this sequence of events is put online and recut to make it seem who, as though who do we think who do we think recorded that was because i didn't a i didn't notice any cameras out uh b it was kind of sparsely attended i will say uh there weren't a ton of students in that in that auditorium uh which was pretty large considering um but I never saw the assistant there either. And I couldn't tell if that is because we keep seeing from, I assume, the assistant's point of view where she's going live with. And I don't know what the fuck going live means. Like, I guess you can you can just go live and and well, what do you mean? Like, like, well, it's like their version of Instagram live. Right. I mean, is, is that but I mean, do you think the assistant is doing that online or is that because that seemed to be a one-on-one -on -one conversation well, no, the, the thing that gets posted is not live obviously because it's edited correct, right correct. she, she yeah, mentions yeah. that so i think that's separate from throughout the movie you have these moments where i guess it's the assistant right talking shit about lydia like while streaming her right when she's sleeping that in that one scene right so there's like that ongoing thing mm -hmm. happening but then what happens in the classroom i honestly didn't even think about it to be honest, who was filming it. yeah i mean i think you're you're meant to be far enough away you're almost participating in that class as a viewer mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. that to me that's field kind of putting you in the room and it could be anybody and i think i i, I I'll, I'll give him enough you know i'll give him that you know, leeway to kind of just buy it. Um, though I know I've, I've seen other people question kind of, well, you know, who did it? Why'd they do it? I think it's so common these days, though. I just felt like it was. Oh, yeah. I just kind of didn't question it, if I'm being honest. Um, but so yeah, that so so that that encounter comes as like another piece of ammunition later in the film, along with this poor young woman who's taken her own life and kind of all the accusations that come with that. And these emails that confirm it, that Lydia is kind of trying to delete and kind of get, you know, disappeared. But then she of course makes the very obtuse decision while all this is going on to not promote, uh, um, Naomi Merlant, who's her long suffering assistant at the exact moment, she probably should have, you know, gone full quid pro quo with this young woman. And of course, she doesn't because she thinks she does not need to because her 
you know, her ego, her sense of self-importance is so big and what have you that she doesn't think she needs to. And of course, that's ultimately kind of the death blow. And so that's what we are watching happening in this kind of, you know, this quite long, but also I think very thrilling mm -hmm. sequence of, of, you know, a narrative. And kind of meanwhile, you have these pointed moments at night where she's struggling to go to sleep because she's hearing these sounds in her like very industrial home which i do yeah. i did love those i did love those sequences robin you were saying you those those really worked for you i think or oh i'm sorry can you remind me which sequence just just the 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 like it was kind of the more like horror adjacent thriller adjacent oh yeah i mean i enjoyed that i the, yeah anything that sort of evokes uh, Michael Hanukkah to me works sure. because he's one of my favorite directors and I got maybe it's because of the the Berlin thing but I got cachet vibes from this movie just the the gray mystery um, just really did it for me so I I enjoyed that I liked the scenes in in uh, her horrifyingly modern apartment yeah. um, I like the scenes in her like I don't know her side bitch apartment like i don't even know what that was <laughs> like her her bachelor well that was like yeah that was like the apartment she had before she met right because the whole thing with the nina haas character yeah but i, I just imagine loved. like she probably yeah. brings her lovers there so well it's right like her, yeah no of course she well, brings yeah. well because she brings the cellist there right she brings olga there at, at a certain point who she's kind of you know grooming. you're like meant to think she's grooming of course all Olga ultimately in a very funny ways fully not into it which I did love that whole sequence where she <laughs> she takes Olga with her to New York for the book tour because that's like another thing happening is Lydia Tarr has this book uh coming out that she's going to promote wow everything's falling apart and mm -hmm. Olga goes out on the town after lying to Kate Blanchett about being tired and wanting to go to bed because she's young and she doesn't give a shit about Lydia Tarr, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, th th those, those sequences really worked for me as well, mm. um, in a different way. And they became more haunting and you, you start to wonder like what, what is happening there? Because I think there's a couple of things. A, you start to, hear that Lydia's kind of pushing back against, you know, uh, I, I think it, her, what is her name? Kendra or something like that. We never actually see her, by the way. Um, the, her, you know, former, Krista, 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 Krista. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who is the one that's kind of, uh, ends up committing suicide after writing all these threatening emails to her and her assistant. And, you know, basically, Lydia's pushback is that she was kind of stalking her and that she was kind of, you know, like pursuing her and Lydia didn't want that to happen. Um, and it makes you kind of wonder what is going on in Lydia's mind because a, she becomes obsessed over like any kind of noise. There's these little symbols that I couldn't quite figure out what was going on, whether that was tied to, uh, the, the woman or not. Um, and because it, it appears in a book that's sent to her as kind of like a gift at one point. Um, and I guess maybe the daughter is the one that's like drawing these symbols and, and that's maybe that was from her wife. 
I don't know. I, I, I can't I can't figure out what's going on with the symbols. I can't figure out who is who is who is planting these noises inside her apartment who set off that metronome. Um, and I can't figure out that sequence when she's running and she's hearing what sounds like someone being assaulted um, and seems to kind of like try and come to their aid and can't figure out where they are. And ultimately that thread just like disappears the next day. We just, we smash cut to her waking up and you're like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know that you're meant to really, you know, get some conclusive answer on that. I think it's obviously meant to be kind of, yeah, just right. Metaphorical, what have you. Um, I will say, speaking of the sound, the sound design is brilliant in this film. I do, Fran, agree about, I do wish we saw a little bit more of her process and a little bit more music, though I think... There's a lot of telling, not enough showing. Yeah, I do think, though, and I will say this is perhaps maybe the safe way to do it from from Todd Field's point of view. And I don't know how we all feel about this. I feel like portraying art and the artistic process in film is can be such a fool's errand. And I think we've we've seen it handled badly so many times that I do think perhaps Todd Field was just trying to avoid a landmine, right? Where it's like, you know, she's meant to be one of the great, you know, composers, right? So I think trying to have too much of the greatness on screen could have almost hampered the movie further. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I think about the fact that like, I, at first I'm not really upset that we don't really see that much of her composing because mm-hmm. I do believe like a lot of great artists, a lot of time is spent just like banging your head at the sure. wall or, or I have mm-hmm. to hope as much to rally, <laughs> rally my own self-esteem. But uh, I, I, in that New Yorker talk at the beginning, she tells Gopnik how much discovery there is for her in rehearsal, but we just don't really ever see that. I would argue her rehearsals almost seem to go a little too well most of the time. But I also think that with orchestras of that level, they're not really doing things more than like three times before they have it down. So it's like kind of a mixed bag, but I sort of wish we saw even more of her in rehearsal. Yeah, I guess I agree. Yeah, because I guess ultimately they're rehearsing things that are already they already exist. So I guess you're not really running the risk of like, I guess I always think of stuff like remember that Bradley Cooper movie, The Words. Anybody seen? Remember that movie, The Words? Anybody? I no? think I saw was that. It, Sunday, yes. it was at Sundance. Yes. Yes, I saw it. I saw I it. Just, yeah. I just remember like that's a movie where he, you know there's a great novel right involved is a part of that movie and it's hard it's like you then they have parts of the great novel and it doesn't sound like a great novel at all right and you're like that's a problem that's certainly a problem here's here's a great and it's a musical kind of you know tie-in here is anytime there's like a rock a fake rock music uh movie right Mm -hmm. where you know uh what is it? Uh, the the Rolling Stones one, or not the Rolling? It, it's it's by the Rolling Stone writer. Uh, I can't remember uh, what that movie is. It has a uh, Kate Kate uh, Winslet in it in a very uh, famous role. Um, where Kate Winslet. A, 
Yeah, a Rolling Stone writer like follows this band on tour, almost famous. Oh my and lord! I Kate Winslet like, is not in that movie. Is this a different movie? Kate, Kate Winslet Kate, is not in that movie. Kate Hudson, Hudson, Hudson. Kate Hudson. Thank sorry, you. Sorry. Yes. Uh, the American Kate Winslet, as we all, as we all, as we all know her as the, the but American. Like Kate that, that film like has to stand on its own legs with with one of the rock songs from the fictional band. Bill, and are you about song, to? Cr- no, Bill, I'm going to disagree with you. You're going to say that song sucks. No, that song is really good. Oh, good! Thank and, God. And that's Thank like God. Impo- that is that is the impossible thing. Yes, is you that, that have is, to create a yes. catchy enough song to be popular so that the audience right. will, will like nod their head and go, "Yes, right. this that song is, is that good." That is the exception, right? That's the exception that proves the rule, right? That's yeah, and yes, and, yes, and yes. it happened again with uh, with Bradley Cooper's uh, movie, um, Stars Born. Yeah. yeah, those songs are really fucking good. And right. you're like, holy shit. Like you just made like a, a whole album of really good music. And there are artists out there that are like, what the fuck? You did that for a movie? Like, right. I, I can't I can't even do that for myself. And, you know, someone came up with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're right in that it is kind of a fool's errand to be like, all right, well, let me show you how art is created. And it's like, mm, let's I let's think they could have do done it. You you hire a consultant. You, I mean, you literally hire people to write music for movies like hire a good one no i mean you're not wrong i mean you're not wrong i mean i think like examples uh, good examples of this just to shout out a a movie i like a lot actually is the red violin is a movie Mm. that um has a lot of songs that obviously exist you know before that movie's made but there, there is new music written um for that movie and it all is of a piece and it works really well and um, that's a that's an easy recommend for me. Um, I think we did that for the Samuel L. Jackson B side episode because he's <laughs> he's like the what he's the he's the investigator in the Red Violin. He's the okay. he's investigating right. what happened to the Red Violin. Why why is the violin red? What is the red? That is the violin. Good movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so we so I brought up before Nina Haas. Um, what do we all think of Nina Haas? Love Nina Haas. I think Love. she's. She like doesn't doesn't she like she is very y- the ying right to Lydia Kate Blanchett's yang right I think very purposefully right where she's the first violin of the orchestra who was there before Lydia got there and basically helped Lydia like you know rise Navigate to power yeah. you know and then is now you know being essentially stabbed in the back because she's being kept in the dark by what Lydia is trying to do and the cellist plus everything else. And yeah, Nina Haas, man, she is one of a kind, truly. Um, I'm trying to think of what else to say. I mean, that's kind of, that's really, yeah, that's she, all I have she, to she, say about she, Nina Haas. Yeah. She does, she does a great job. She's, she's a definitely a force and a presence in this film. Um, I feel like so often a lot of these couple, movies you can tell who is the domineering one but you can kind of get a sense here and there that nina haas really will domineer when she absolutely has to right um uh there are some moments in this film that you know you're just like oh okay 
like you right. know and you don't rise to first violinist and and uh, you know this position of power and all this other stuff without you know knowing what the fuck you're doing um so i mean certainly there's a lot going on there um but no i, I thought she was really good i think their relationship is really really interesting because it seems like when when uh Blanchett first comes back we first see that apartment it's almost like Haas is like falling apart um without her um right. she needs her medication I guess and it, I I didn't quite understand what was going on there um I guess maybe she's forgetful and doesn't I, remember to take the meds I don't I know I think yeah I think it was just right just you know there's a <laughs> I think it's just, you know, whatever the medication is, she needs it and she can, you know, they, they rely on each other. And obviously I think when you get to the end of the film, you know, Lydia Tarr so tries to be so proud, right. Tries to be so self-sustaining, but of course, once it's all fallen apart and we can talk about the ending, I suppose, cause I think that's really, that can be device divisive for some. And I definitely want to kind of talk about, you know, the two kind of essential scenes, you know, that come at the end of the film, but yeah, they have this symbiotic thing. Right. And I think as much as, uh, you know, Tar likes to act, you know, and like she's, you know, the strong one, quote unquote, in this relationship, you know, when she isn't able to see Petra, her daughter, it's clearly breaking her apart more than anything else. Right. And I think that's kind of a very important moment in the film. What did we think about the end where she goes full, you know, NFL linebacker on Mark strong <laughs> when I, I, I do like the way it's that shot. Was, it's like I a sneaky thing, right. Where like you hear uh -huh, the uh -huh. fifth symphony going, but you realize she's not at the podium. And then within 20 seconds, she's like shoving Mark Strong off of the podium, which I I see for me, you know, speaking to the comedy, I was loving it. Like I was laughing. I suppose it can I suppose you could say it feels like it's, you know, like from another movie. But I feel like that's kind of yeah. an un, I feel like that's an unfair criticism. I don't know. I, I feel like you're building I, to that. Honestly, I, I, I feel like that sequence happened and I couldn't quite figure out if that was a dream, if it was a nightmare, if it was reality, if it was I, I a I couldn't figure out why Strong was the one performing that. Um, I thought maybe there would be like the actual backup guy, <laughs> like just kind of steps back in. Right. He hasn't been named yet or his successor hasn't been named yet. So why? Why wouldn't he just step back into that role? Um, but yeah, I, I thought I, I just couldn't figure out what was going on in that sequence. Um, but no, I, I laughed, too, because I was just like, holy shit, she really did that. Um, but yeah, I'm curious what everybody else thought. I, I think that scene is so brilliant in two different ways, one of which is because the movie teaches you to realize something is wrong when you know, we're with the trumpet uh, off off stage and suddenly she's standing next to him. It all comes mm -hmm. on really fast and it ends really quickly. But I also just think the pacing of Tar is really insane and kind of brilliant. I think, you know, it's it starts with these really languid, slightly overlong scenes. And then I think just gets increasingly more clipped 
as it goes on. And I think to Mm -hmm. some extent kind of mirrors like a symphonic structure, but also sometimes not really. And I love that that scene is like over before you know it, because seeing something like that in life would probably feel that crazy and then immediately over. I feel like like that's how I felt watching the Oscars this past year, you know? Oh God. Where I was like, yeah. wait, what? Jeez. Fuck. Oh my God. And then just sort of like, okay, we've moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't even, th- of course just, I didn't even yeah. think about that. Yeah. That's yeah. a, that's a great man. I wonder, I wonder when this was actually filmed. I wonder how much it must have been. Bef- that was. It must've been before. Um, Robin, what'd you think of that sequence? I mean, it's not the most memorable part of the movie for me. Um, I guess it's like, it's an interesting climax, like visually, et cetera. I don't disagree with what people have shared, but what, what I found much more effective for me was probably the, just the last scene or like the last image Um, that really struck with me or stuck with me a lot more than the violence and also because I just don't know if you come back from assault like that even in the way that that Lydia does come back and it's like sort of this like half-life it's I it's just still hard for me to believe that such a public assault like that can can be moved on from I don't know man but Will, I but Will I, Smith starring in Emancipation I understand. coming to Apple TV in like four weeks you know yeah but he <laughs> poor, didn't poor Robin's like him. poor Robin's like not in real life and and we keep being like well I'm but. just saying Antoine Fuqua directed a movie that no but Will here's is, the difference yeah. there's a yeah. there are differences in how people view race there's differences in how people view gender um it wasn't a full-on tackling like and also i think the mainstream public is a lot more interested in forgiving a star that has been you know at the forefront of film for the last 25 years than a woman who seems like kind of a snobby bitch yeah i mean that's there's definitely she's got an egot she is an egot that's true that is the egot is the thing that i least believe about this movie it was just, it was too much. But I don't know though, because because those type of artists are the ones who have egots, right? Like Marvin Hamlish, right? Like he is an because e- it's like the easiest. I would have more easy, believed if she was this to close it. to getting her egot than, sure, than having right. than her having already had it. Like she needed just, the tone. I don't. She it, needed the tone. That was Robin, the thing Robin that broke me. Believe, <laughs> Robin doesn't believe the brilliance. She's just like, nah, fuck that. I I I don't it's accept it. It's not that. It's just that like. We, the public, you know, let's just say we know nothing about, you know, classical music or the music world. I just, it's just hard to believe that someone like Lydia would, you know, captivate us. She's not particularly warm. She's not likable. Those are usually the things that, that we prefer in, in women artists and, you know, high profile do you, women. Do you, do you not think that speech was, that opening sequence was good? Good in what way? Like she was, she had that that crowd worked. Do you, but yeah, that that crowd of was people who were born to lick her boots. I mean, that's that was a self selecting crowd. But that's not that is not what I would call the mainstream public. And also, right. uh, you know, that speech or that monologue at the beginning was not. I think meant to get the audience on her side that was meant for us to get a sense of who she is as a person, but it, it was not, 
the most ingratiating, you know, way of speaking. Like she's this, you know, we keep bringing this up, but this is all about per- persona and artifice and pretending to be someone you're not, you know, at the, at the heart of it or taking on just a completely different class. Like she is a, she is upwardly mobile. She is extremely ambitious. Like every single thing that came out of her mouth was highly crafted. Yeah. I mean, I started at a young age. I will, I will say, you know, I, you know, the power dynamics and kind of the exploration of that are very interesting, but I think the most, the, the most relatable part of her character is that feeling as the film goes on and you realize how deep the fakery is, you know, and the imposter syndrome that she's fighting against or whatever you want to call it. That I do feel like is relatable. Cause like even in my day job, right. Where I'm kind of, you know, producing whatever, a commercial, let's say, right. Like I, I think of that when I'm on set and I'm right. Talking to a lot of crew members or the client or something, I, I, I often will hear myself, you know, in the middle of a conversation and I'll be like, man, I am really acting like a producer right now. You know what I mean? Like I'm really <laughs> doing, doing my thing, you know, like if I could see me now and I do think, <laughs> and I do think I you, it's easy to relate whatever your job is, right, in some respect to that feeling, you know, and you don't have to be the leader, you know, of the Berlin Philharmonic to, you know, relate to that. And I think that actually really helps the film, at least for me it did, you know, because with all of her sins and obviously, you know, I don't think Todd Field is saying let's love and respect this woman. I think obviously she, there's a very critical eye at who this person is, but – um I do think he, it's it's good to the movie is smart to acknowledge what we're talking about, which is kind of she's putting it on and she is aware of it. And then when it all falls apart and she kind of tackles Mark Strong and she gets kicked out of everything and she crawls back to the outer borough, you know, whatever the borough is. And it's called Linda by her brother who like wants nothing to do with her. And I'll say this. I'll say this for Todd Field. One thing I loved about when she goes back to her childhood home is I loved that we do not get a scene with the mother, right? I loved, I feel Mm -hmm. like it would have been so easy to have some like five minute, you know, some great older actress playing the mother, you know, when you left, everything changed. You were too good for it, right? Like a very like specific kind of let's lay it all out on the table scene. And he avoids that. And I think that's so crucial. His withering look was enough of a flaw. That's what I mean. Yeah, opinion. I just I think it's so crucial to not have that type of stuff because the movie's really promised you not that right. For as much as it's not, it's certainly not a subtle film, but I don't think it's that kind of film either. Yeah, and I think that's a nice touch. And then obviously the final sequence, she goes abroad, far, far, far. Far East. I think they filmed everything in Thailand, though. I don't know if they ever say it's Thailand, it but the Philippines. I, no, no, you're right. It was a Thailand. It was, it was Thailand. Yeah. I don't know if they ever say exactly where it is, but I believe they filmed it Thailand. But anyway, she but like goes all there. of the yeah. names at the beginning of the credits are Thai names. So I just assumed oh, it was okay. Thailand. Oh God. I don't know okay. why I thought it was Philippines. I think a friend told me that and I, was, and I corrected her. So I think I, I just inversed myself, but she, she basically, you know, is, you know, very solitary, right? She's kind of has these, 
these like soft moments of reckoning, what have you. And then finally the last moment, which I do think is a very kind of, I, I did love, I know, you know, and we can talk about this. I did, I did like this. I know, I know, I, I think some people didn't like this as much. She's basically conducting a live orchestra over a screening of like a monster hunter game mm-hmm. movie with an audience that's cosplaying as those characters, right? So it's a very kind of look how far she's fallen, but there's also something about her still doing the work that I did yes. find kind yes. of. Yeah, yeah, I did, exactly. I did, I did kind, I did find that kind of maybe not uplifting, but I did find it endearing. I was it was like, bittersweet. I think know, it's she, kind of beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Yes, I agree. I agree. I, agree. I think it's funny. I think it's biting, I, but I think yeah. it's, it's very funny. I think it's and also very lovely biting. a little bit. Yeah, because because she she kind of rails against that at at one point. You know but what it reminds you know you know what it reminded me of when 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 uh, Joel Murray says to Don Draper, "Just do the work, Don. Just write the tags, Don Draper. <laughs> you know you've lost everything. That's what but the money's for. Just yeah. do do what you do what you love, right? Even if it's like you know you know bullshit you were doing 15 years ago. You know get back to one and then you know figure it out. And I do like. I do, I do like it. I think it really works. Um, I think well, it really it, works. It really I, I works because you have that scene right at the end. Uh, I, I don't remember if it was before or after her brother flagellates her, but like where she's, you know, basically looking at all of her old videotapes from when she was a kid. Of, right, and the, the Bernstein, um, the, Burns, the Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, exactly. Tapes, yeah. And it's just this really endearing moment where she's just like getting back to herself and what drew her to this world and has nothing to do with the money, the fame, the accolades. It just has to do with her pure passion, probably what got her to Harvard. Um, And, and it was just like such a beautiful moment. And then, you know, the end, I think it could go either way. Like it's either meant to be like her pure fall from grace, you know, this, this shame or it could be like, you know what? She's still out there. She's still doing it. She's still doing something that she still likes the work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I choose to a, yeah. believe the more uplifting thing because I'm, you know, a dumb American. There you go. I love it. Yeah, here's <laughs> um, a, oh, go oh. ahead, friend. Sorry. I, this is my one sort of regret in reviewing this film is I had to turn around my review in two days, sort of classic review landscape. But sure. coming away from it initially, I was like, this is so funny. This is such a mean ending it's really having a laugh. And in the months since I've seen it and I've been lucky enough to go see it again, I'm like, this is a beautiful ending. It's really mm-hmm. lovely. It is really funny, but I also think it just all comes back to that scene where she's watching young person's guide to the orchestra or whatever that Bernstein series was called. And he's just like, the, the feeling is the meaning of the music and that monster hunter audience cares a lot more about what she's doing than all the Lincoln center phonies. Yeah. That's actually really well said. Now here's a question. Do we think Bradley Cooper is happy that tar exists or not happy that tar exists? (laughs) I think about this every night before I go to sleep and I don't have an answer now. So for the listener, you may know this or you may not Bradley Cooper. I think he's finished filming his Leonard Bernstein biopic uh in which he is playing the titular great american composer and the movie i believe is called maestro i think right it's a netflix yeah. film mm-hmm. and it'll, it'll come out i believe next year right next year i think right and yeah. i just I, I fran i as well spend time thinking if i'm bradley cooper am i happy that there's now a film that is like 
putting to the forefront, at least at least in our niche culture of like composers and like obviously in this film tar is like a protege of leonard bernstein right and and what have you or is he just like god damn it todd field made a great movie that's probably very similar to the one that i'm making you know my mountain is bigger Um, than i thought it would be i don't know i think it can kind of only help him but i do constantly think back to this interview he did on like the Jason Bateman podcast uh, where he was like, my movie's secret weapon is Mahler five, <laughs> which I was going to be like, well, oh no. But it's like, also like you have decision to leave uses Mahler five. It's like Bradley, right. we all knew about Mahler five. Like you got to find a new secret weapon, but I, th- I think it can only help in general. I, I think I'm leaning that way too. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, look, you know, how many people, right? It's like, you know, I think his movie will reach, uh, I, look, I'm rooting for Tar, but I'm just saying, I think, you know, his <laughs> his uh, his movie, obviously the platform it will get and just kind of the general, the shine of something like that will, will Well, you be know, he enough. puts on a schnoz, like it's good. He puts go on a schnoz, he puts on a schnoz. <laughs> he does. I would, um, so... Um, what was I just going to say? Oh, one other fun uh, Bernstein adjacent thing I would just say is if it's it's all on Tubi. So if you guys get the chance, seek out the Columbo episode where John. <laughs> Cassav- I'm sorry, am I 80 years no, old? No, hang on, hang on. This is worth it. John Cassavetes. This is research. John Cassavetes plays um the you know the murderer right so if you know colombo this is not a spoiler you find out who, who, who <laughs> does, you find out who do you find out who does the crime in the first scene and the rest of the show is is colombo figuring it out right that's how that's the the framework of that show right so john casavetti's in this great episode and obviously casavetti's and peter falk work together all the time uh in casavetti's own movies of course he plays like what if leonard bernstein like killed somebody and tried to get away with it. And it's a really great episode. I would just encourage everybody to, I think it's the second season. I would encourage everybody to seek it out. It's very good. Uh, I'm haunted because like I went to a small college and our one like film and TV scholar, you know, on the faculty, her thing was Columbo. Like that was, sure. that was like what her life's work was devoted to. And I always felt really shortchanged by that. Like, oh, just like of all the things, it was of Columbo. all the people sure. that you brought onto this faculty, it had to be the Columbo scholar, and that just lost <laughs> me forever. So, anytime bring, somebody brings that up, I'm just like, once again, fired up about this. I look, I'll choose the rock for files every time, okay? So, it's not like Columbo's not <laughs> my number one. You anyway. know, you came on here all like we're all the same age, aren't we? And I'm just getting like real I'm a very old, sweat from you. I'm a very old 33. Okay. I'm 33 going There's on. There's no way you're 33. I'm 33. Yeah. Wow. You're 33. I'm oh, older God. than you. No, I'm just kidding. I read old. I do read old. I have, I have very There's limited no hair. Way. I have a dark, I have a dark, I have a deep voice. Wait, you, what year were you born? I'm about to be 34. Let me say that. 88. So mm. 
I'm I'm 30. Why, why did that matter, Robin? I'm 34 <laughs> this is a test. In, I'm 34 in. You don't believe three, him. Three no, I don't. She literally does not believe you. <laughs> wow. Wow, Robin. 2022. <laughs> just, just, I don't believe yeah. the EGOT. I November, don't believe November that someone, someone would purport this, this, uh, this argument about, you know, cancel culture. And yeah, you I don't feel believe. like a lot younger than you. <laughs> you don't have two kids. I have two kids. <laughs> You know how it is. You know, you get old. You get old. Yeah, I got a fresh womb. So. You get old. You get old. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's just, what? what's your birthday? November 28th, 1988. Jesus, Robin. So what, what are you are like we a doing here? I'm a Sagittarius. What are we watch doing out. here? I'm watching Do out. You I'm a Sagittarius. Want, she, she wants your driver license number next. Yeah, I... Like, well, no, hey, so my social, my social is <laughs> what year did I go to? I have no idea. What year, did you what? start at four or five? I have no idea. How would I know? I was always the youngest. How do I not? How do you know? That's the question. So we started kindergarten the same year. Like mm. I was always the youngest in all of my classes. So I don't know what that means. So it's probably, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. So it's all good. Whatever. Um, I'm going to Columbo this shit. Columbo it. Yeah. Figure me out. Figure me out. So I guess what are final, what are final tar thoughts? Final tar thoughts. I guess I'll start. I really like it. It would be in my top five currently. I'm trying to think of what else would be there. Yeah, it would be in my top five. I have plenty of movies still to watch. I haven't seen Decision to Leave. I'm very excited to see that. Um, among you know, amongst many others. But uh, but it'll be up there. And I think Blanchett. I agree with you guys. I don't know that she's winning Oscar. I feel like that third Oscar is like so. I don't know. There's like so few people who've done it. You know, it's like that's, that's so. It's it's so it's so stupid to me that like like it's not nothing against you, but it's so stupid to me that like that would ever come into well, my voting, like my voting, but it's like politics. Like, I mean, it's, it's it's year in year out. This year is she the best actress? Well, yes but or it's no? Like, but, but look, it's like but I. But you eh, say, it's no, but they don't. They don't vote like that's that. That's not how it works. Yeah. I, mean, that's, I, nobody, I know nobody, they don't. I know like they that. don't. Boy, what do you mean nobody votes like that? No, like, but like, no, course. Bill, what do you mean? What do I mean? Like, it, not to get sporty on you, but in the NBA, right? Uh-huh. LeBron James should have won the MVP for nine years in a row because he was the best player, but he didn't because they get tired of voting. Same thing with Michael Jordan, right? It's like they get tired of voting for the same person, right? You you choose other narratives, right? You, you want to sure. diversify the story, right? So you find the other thing, right? So it's like, you know, Fran was saying before, like Meryl becomes such a living legend that you give her the nom because she's Meryl, but you never she fucking showed up. But you Ugh. never give her the <laughs> statue, right? Or at least you don't give it there sure. you don't give her the statue for a long, long time. And then finally, I mean, she makes such, she does such Always an the undeniable piece never the of bride. work. Like the Iron Lady. I mean, such an iconic <laughs> film. But no, but then she wins for that. But it's like, um, I just think with Kate, she's kind of in that, I mean, she'll definitely get nominated. I just, it's hard for me to believe she'll get a third Oscar. But, you know, watch me be wrong. I don't know. Uh, but, but, you know, to be fair, and I'm arguing against myself here, They've given Frances McDormand three Oscars for That's basically true. playing the same kind of like folksy, warm Earth Mother. So maybe I'm wrong. What are the? I just think they'd rather give it. Year. 
to someone playing Foxy than they would like haughty, you know? Right, I agree. Right I also that. agree about, right about that. that. Yes. But that's a good I, point. I forgot about Francis. What was the three? She won for Billboards and then Fargo Nomadland. Billboards. Oh, Nomadland. Nomadland, right. Yep. Right. Nomadland, of course. Um, right. And Fargo. Yeah, yeah. Um, Probably right. two of the three you deserved. What was Billboards not deserved? Is it your thought there? Oh, yeah. Let's erase that movie from existence. Though Banshees, Vinna Sharon, is very good. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Big fan. Yeah, of that's I'm not one a of Colin my big... Farrell guy, so I don't know. What? You're not I, a Colin I don't Farrell like him. Guy. Do you Does have Colin know that? eyes and ears? <laughs> no, he's like, he's anathema to what I'm attracted to. Interesting. Wow. She likes she likes conductors. She likes tall, lanky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he Farrell, Colin Farrell is speaking of, uh, not locks, but but surefire competitors. Uh, Farrell and Banshees is really good. Uh, it's like I bet he is. I mean, he's a good actor. I'll very much that. one of those performances where you kind of go like it does feel kind of like a encapsulation of what it is about him we like. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I do think it's well. What is it we like? Role. What do we like? Well, I think I so for I I think Colin Farrell by now, right, is obviously a fan favorite, and I think you know, you know, he had those early years where it was not that case where Hollywood was trying to make him a movie star, and it kind of went the other way. But I think what we like about him is he's obviously incredibly handsome. Is is easy. You know, for a lot of people think that Robin, Robin, uh, Robin eh. aside, Robin aside, most people think that. And I think the thing about him is he seems very vulnerable. That's literally the word I was thinking of. Yeah, it's he's vulnerable. Right. And it's and I think it's endearing even when he's playing mischievous right i'm thinking about something like intermission right which is like a very tough character to root for if you've seen that movie but like there is a quality to him that's very like oh man i just want to like be your friend like you're all right can i get you something how are we doing like and i think um that's banshees is really locking into that and i think that's an important thing so he will definitely be in the discussion um bill final tar thoughts Final tar thoughts. Um, it's good, still, for, good for streets, right? If you want to, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm still really curious about all of the things that are happening in her apartment and all of that mystery. Um, I don't know why it's there. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, makes the neighbors, me, that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, not not so much the neighbors. Like, that's, that's sad. Man. Very sad, uh, yeah. Yeah, that sequence was was pretty harrowing. Um, and I, I, I like the fact that she decided to strip off right there and take a uh, a hand sanitizer bath. I was like, this is very inefficient. Does that apartment not have a shower? Like, what's going on here? No so. time, Bill. There was no time. She had to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this film has, has jumped a little bit, um, in terms of my appreciation of it because of this, uh, actually pretty good, uh, discussion that didn't go as long as I thought it was going. So yeah, bravo. Uh, much shorter than this film. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome, Bill. Bill, you're welcome. Robin, what about you? What are, what are your, you kind of were saying some of them, but what are your kind of button thoughts there? Um, I mean, I can't, I, I just, I 
can't disagree with you. I think I said this at the beginning, but uh, a movie that has kind of gone around and around in my head for maybe like the last month um definitely think it'll be my top five so far not a lot of other contenders for the top five so i'd be a little Turning bit sad red. I, I like that movie it's probably gonna be my top 10 mm-hmm. but i just you know i don't know there's something about me this year where i'm harsher than ever about movies i don't think i've seen one four-star movie of 2022 four four out of four stars for me um and that's like my upper echelon of film. And I usually maybe see one or two a year, but I haven't seen any yet. So here's to hoping that something comes through. We just got to know. November. We just got now, to November. Robin, I know, have, now, Robin, but... you have not seen Lyle Lyle Crocodile yet. Is that correct? I have not, sir. Okay, so, well, then, just before you can see Lyle Lyle, let's not, you know, you know. You know, it doesn't look terrible. I would, I, I don't know. Shout out to uh, Mitchell Beaupre for for the Lyle Lyle reference. Um, I love the books. Sure. Who doesn't? Yeah, because we're the same age, so we know those books. <laughs> I have not. I have not Lyle Lyled with uh, with my son yet. Is that what? What is the? Uh, I don't actually know those books. Would Would they be good for a two year old? Yes, because no? you're born in 1972. What? <laughs> Are they? Could a Could a two year old? Could I read it to a two year old? No. Yes. What do you think? I mean, what can't you read to a two-year-old? Sure, it's a good point. It's a great point. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great point. Um, I think they're they're pretty age appropriate. Like, why not? We're on Curious George right now, so okay. Um, Fran, what do you think? What what is final tar tar talk thoughts here? Oh, I think this is a great and exciting and funny movie, and I feel very. Happy and grateful to have a movie in major awards conversation this year that does not feel condescending sure, and allows for like a real chance of discovery and excitement. And it's definitely been, you know, it's it's tentatively holding the spot at number one for me. And what would I would say is it's been a pretty good year, but it's certainly been my absolute favorite thing to argue about, which I think speaks to its quality. And Fran, since you 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 do this for a living and you've seen a lot of films, give us just a few more Fran favorites before we send you off into the night. Oh, just happily, nice. um, Benediction. Oh, I love that one. Yep. I think absolutely rocks. I think Il Buco. Is, oh, interesting. Sure. Yep. I'm sort of the one of very few people really like carping on that movie, but I think if you love to take, uh. A weed where it's legal to do so and mm. and chill out that's a great movie to do it for that is definitely true yeah um i love know. Catherine called birdie yeah mm. the lena dunham i have not seen it yet right i wanted to like that a lot more than i did oh that really that really hit me hit me where it hurt uh what else stars at noon i'm really sure. caping for and uh it's it's gonna be it played new york film fest and i think it'll be out by the end of the month but all the beauty in the bloodshed is pretty astounding oh right also. the name golden yeah i Poitras. can't wait to see that right that yeah. thing like that and Catherine called birdie i just sort of cried through the entire second hour of nice wow well, that, in a way a, that was very like that. cathartic for both right, i right. think robin i know you saw rrr oh <laughs> yeah it was cute <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I have to say that is kind of how I feel as well about R. I have been kind of not saying that out loud because everybody loves it so much. I agree uh, I with Robin. I like people it. like I, it. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> I liked it fine. Um, 
Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it's a yep. superhero movie. Sure. Yeah. No, it's good though. It's, yeah. I'm excited. I, I it, it's a good in it's a good entry point for, for a lot of movies like that though. So I, I I'm excited to watch more uh, of that ilk. I will say. Um. So Fran, as we wrap up, remind us one more time where can people find your your writing and on all of that. Um, my writing on film can be found on Gawker, on Brightwell Dark Room, on The Wrap, and on my Substack, which is called Fran Magazine. Yes, yes. And then Robin, where are you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. You can also find me at Letterbox, uh, uh, Letterbox on this at the same handle. Sorry, can't speak today. Um, and you can sometimes find my writing at the Hollywood Reporter. Yes, yes. And Bill. Mr. Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, but I don't tweet much and it has nothing to do with Musk. Um, in fact, he should pay me to tweet more. Hey, if, get his if ass, dude. Get his ass. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, you can also find me on Slack, always mixing it up. And you can find me on Instagram at Billstagram where I post puppy photos and, and grill photos. Oh, so there you go. I like that. Yes, yes. I'm at on Twitter at DJ Mecca. I write reviews for the film stage sometimes. If you're listening, I reviewed the movie Peaceful with Peaceful. I don't know. I said it weird. Peaceful is the name of the movie with Catherine Deneuve, um, which was okay. Oh, um, yeah. I saw, I saw that. That's a oh, very okay film. Yeah. It's so okay. It's like, hey, what if there was an okay film? And you were like, yeah, I'll show you, I'll show you Peaceful. It's like, okay. Um, and that's about it. This has been fun. The movie was tar. Uh, you know, get movie. Uh, I guess I'll remind everybody while I have you one more time, because we're here, that you can get a free 30 days if you go to movie.com slash the film stage. That's mubi.com slash film stage for a whole month of great cinema for free. And with that, uh, we'll let you out into this good night and have a great time. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye.